Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, welcome back uh, to another edition of the pod today. And I'm really excited to be able to interview my good friend, Hannah Barnhart, uh, who is someone I've had an opportunity to get to know through some of our personalized learning initiatives in my previous uh, work with Westside Community Schools. And she's just a phenomenal educator uh, and someone that uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit today with about remote learning and what that kind of looks like from the classroom teacher's perspective. Uh, Hannah has also been involved in the Digital Age Pedagogy Project um, that has been going on across the state for a couple years now. So we'll probably chat about that a little bit too. But uh, to start things off, Hannah, will you give us kind of just an introduction, I guess, kind of your time in education, a little background, and uh, then we'll kind of get into talking shop here. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, so just kind of a little about me. Um, I am from the Omaha area and I um, went to Westside Public Schools, shout out to Westside, <laughs> and um, I student taught in District 66 at Oakdale and then um, came over to Christ the King. So working for the Omaha Archdiocese and I've been there about five years now. I teach fifth and sixth grade language arts and math and next year I'm going to be switching over to just language arts for fifth and sixth grade. Um, I've been learning, I started learning about personalized learning during my student teaching experience and then continued to evolve and grow. And I met Andrew, met you, and um, just kind of through the people, like teacher friends have just kind of grown to love um, finding new and exciting ways to engage students. Um, and I definitely think as a teacher, you really have to look for those resources because it's not just going to fall into your lap, I feel like. So I've really enjoyed growing in my practices. And then I got to do the DAP project, which was really cool and different and then engaging in a different way. So. Oh, and I guess part of the reason why we're friends, part of the reason why I appreciate getting a chance to chat in these formats too, is just because you are so passionate about continuing to always um, make those incremental steps towards, you know, evolving your practices for what's in the best interest of kids and who can't get excited about that uh, to start off with. Um, I, you know, what I'm going to ask you, maybe on a personal level, as we kick things off here, um, how are you doing with being the elementary teacher in remote learning, just kind of in general, like, how, how's it going for you? I'm, where, where are you at right now? To be like 100% honest, I feel like it's been hard. I mean, I totally get jazzed about education, um, but I realize that a lot of that is through like throwing ideas out to kids and being able to easily try a new idea, you know, the next day. Um, and in this format, you have to be very intentional, which is not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but mm -hmm. it's not as easy to be able to do the, you know, personalized practices and be as creative in the classroom because you want to be consistent and you want it to be something that they understand how to do what you're asking them to do, but also giving them something that's easily able to chunk out. So I'd say this process has been, it's been hard in that regard, I guess, but I definitely like, I'm getting very excited about next year and starting to brainstorm what I want to do for next year and hoping that if we have to do this again, that my mindset will be different because I think this has been so temporary, like, oh, well, this is, we only have two weeks or we only have four weeks. We only have six weeks of this. And next year, if we have to do this, I know going into it, I'm going to have a better mindset about it. Cause I think for like, especially when we started the remote learning, it was like, 
we thought it was going to be so temporary that it was hard to put that mindset on that it was going to be the whole quarter. It's a lot of highs and lows and having Zoom sessions has made it a lot easier to see students and check in with them and be able to see their faces and know that I'm at least touching base with them. Yeah, that's, we went through sort of an emergency remote learning phase where I hope we can enter into the fall with more of an intentional remote learning phase. And I don't fault anybody if, if it has felt this. I feel like, I mean, I feel like this, yeah, it was so, it was so like, oh, this possibly could happen. Cause I mean, my boss sent this out to us like, Hey, we're going to make these plans just in case. And then it was, we're doing it right now. And I mean, cause I mean, for everybody, it was just kind of completely out of left field, like going into that emergency remote learning mm-hmm. standpoint. So I think for everybody, it's been hard. And then it's also like everybody's mentally going through like their own struggles process of not being able to see our students and our own mental struggles of everything. So it's been a very beautiful, like seeing the gifts of this, it's been a bit, very beautiful thing to just show our, like how much I care for, you know, you just see how much you really care for like going in every day and how it's like so easy to take that for granted, having that, those experiences with your kids, but it's like, really, it's like, you, you know, this, it's like seeing your kids every day. It's like, I see my kids more than I see my family. Like, right. you know, it's just crazy. And my coworkers and just having the school experience. It's so, I mean, there's so many gifts out of that, that it's just, it's going to be good. It's going to be all right. <laughs> right. It, there's something about all that that fills your bucket. And I've, as I've watched my, my own children at nine and six and, and almost particularly my son, he, he does, he, learning is such a social and a relationship centered experience. And, and I um, have really appreciated, at least with his teachers, for example, my, my son's teacher will do a little um, Snapchat video where we'll throw a funny filter on there and deliver the morning message every day <laughs> with, with that filter. And it, and it continues to make him human and it continues to bring his personality and his life to their landing page. Um, I would actually just wrote recently a little blog piece on, let's try to move towards a learning home instead of a landing page. Uh, and, and I kind of like framing it that way and just trying to think through what this could look like. Nobody knows best practices in this format yet, but like those are the kind of design approaches that's where my head's at right now. And, and with my son too, uh, just the, what is lost by not having the opportunity to turn to a peer and figure it out together in those learning opportunities that sometimes we they go under the radar that we don't even like it's so either natural for us to do a think pair share um, that we don't even think about the value of that pair because it's just something that we do that works um, and now so much of it is think share think share and it, and we're missing sort of that that middle tier that they learn way better from each other okay side note i don't know if i'm no we could do side side notes side note i think this is something that really uh, this is where i'm at with this is i feel like i've grown so much in my practices at school where this is like remote learning is such a vulnerability to me if that makes sense like i feel vulnerable because i don't feel like i'm able to show my best practices online Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, I feel like I've grown in my practices and I've been able to be like more creative as time has progressed with like different formats like Flipgrid and Padlet and different things. But I think that's something that's hard for a lot of teachers yeah, is yeah. that 
finding those creative things and then also seeing what other teachers are doing. You're like, should I be doing more? You know, you, you compare <laughs> yourself because you're like, oh my yes. gosh, should I be doing more? Or like, am I doing, am I meeting their needs like the best that I can now? And I agree with like, it's hard not being able to provide them with that time to share with their neighbor. Cause I mean, I, I, it's very interesting, like getting student responses and knowing that like, you know, there's, you know, those certain students that really need to see their peers doing stuff to know that they, what they need to be doing. If yeah. that makes sense. Like they see that and they go, Oh, I should be getting my book out or oh, I should be doing this or even to help them dig deeper into their learning because some might be a little more surface level in certain areas and helping them dig deeper into what we're doing and knowing. So when they're just being asked to share, 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 they don't have that person helping them get deeper into whatever topic we're doing. Yeah. So and it and it's not a a fault on anyone. You know, that's mm -hmm. not a blind side. Uh, it, it is. But it's so easy as a teacher to do that though, because we're constantly like reevaluating, okay, is this am I meeting their needs? Are they understanding this? Are they True. getting our feedback? But obviously we're always going to blame ourselves <laughs> and saying, oh, like this isn't working or like well how can mm -hmm. I help them? But it's like you feel limited in that space. But how do we get out of that bubble of feeling limited in the remote learning space? Because realistically, this is something we're probably going to have to do. Yeah. And which is hard because I feel like mentally, I'm like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. But, you know, if we get past that and plan ahead and have that positive outlook, it's more likely to be successful. Right. And I, uh, I've not felt this level of helplessness. And maybe this is a, a, a way to think about this somewhat. My first teaching job, I spent six years at and got in a pretty good rhythm of having 85 minute class periods on a block schedule. <laughs> and then I went to a new teaching assignment where I had 35 minute class periods four times a week. And I was awful. I felt like that first semester. And I'm sure I wasn't, you know, but but for what where my heart was with what I like had been invested in and what I knew I was capable of providing, I wasn't able to be effective to the level that I'd come to expect from myself <laughs> in that new setting and it was it was this hard hard I can't even imagine because I have like an hour and a half and I can't even imagine having one second less than that oh. like going to 35 minutes oh my gosh yeah and and I think that it's I don't and I even think this move to online obviously then is incredibly is even more difficult <laughs> you know, it, I mean is it isn't there like they're supposed to only have like a certain number of hours per day yeah, and this, this is good to bring up. So uh, I believe for the state of Nebraska that the expectation in that like K2 range is around an hour and a half uh, or um, a day. That's kind of your top end max. Um, then you have, I think, three, six ends up falling somewhere around three or four, maybe even five as you kind of get closer to that middle school. And then I think the secondary is like, is a pretty clear three to five. So I mean, like kind of whatever I think you're comfortable with kind of in that, that around three hours probably for that upper elementary. But, uh, but you know what, that it's interesting that we like still quantify that. And I think you have to some way by time <laughs> and some kiddos, it's going to take longer to do certain things than others. That, so. Like our goal is two hours, but it's like some kids, it's going to take them longer than that. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. if they skip a day, it's like, well, you have double the work the next day. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. But it's like, how do you decide how much time? And then, yeah, the ballpark is two for us. What is one thing then that you feel like you're like, hey, that that kind of worked <laughs> like and it could be anything from how you facilitated, like communicated. I know that's the whole delivery of instructional materials piece is important in addition to the actual 
lesson design and that process that goes into that to just communicating, like you're saying with students, what, what do you feel like is something that maybe you're like, you know, I'll, I'll try to build from that place um, when we come back in the fall, if we end up in remote. Um, okay. So I guess like a specific activity that stood out to me that I like really made me my heart happy when you know like the first two weeks of this starting like I feel like everybody was just in a state of like shock this did mm -hmm. not happen but so we did Flipgrid and we did like um where they learned about tall tales one of my groups learned about fifth grade learned about tall tales and so I had them either to I had them act out a part of the, the short story that they read and I wanted them to show their understanding of what a tall tale example would be in the story. And it was gold. Like it was so, so good. And it was the best grading ever. Like I loved it. But it was like so many of the kids use like their siblings to show like the amazing strength of the character or their animals. And it was the cutest thing ever. And the thing is, is like they were laughing and smiling and showing and they all showed they understood it. Yeah. And that was like, okay, Flipgrid was like a game changer. And we've used it before too, which helps. Um, and then, I mean, I've used it almost every week since then um, to show different things. Like this week we're working on poetry aspects. So I had them read aloud a poem and then I wanted them to decide if it was lyric or free verse poetry. So I think that's something we'll definitely continue into next year is using that. Um, and it's engaging and, you know, they can like add stickers and different things, which they get excited about. So that has been a game changer. And then the other game changer is I do reading journals every week. That's just different reflective questions. And I've always had it in like a physical journal that they would turn in. And yeah. it just take, it took me forever to give feedback because, you know, I have 40 some throughout the day and, you know, not a lot of time, but this over this process, they have, submitted reading journals online and I've able, been able to give feedback and then also it's helped me really pay attention to how long they're spending on a book and being like hey you know maybe we should move on to a different book now <laughs> um so it's been good I've liked that so I'm going to definitely continue that next year so I like we just did our um like lists of what they need for next year fifth and sixth mm -hmm. grade and I included one less notebook because I'm like well we're going to start doing this online so those are good things, right? Yeah, for sure. And then I think that both of those examples kind of circle back to what we were talking about in that student to teacher, how do we enhance those relationships? And I do think that the feedback you provide really can be that. And it doesn't always have to be video. My daughter gets feedback from her teacher that, you know, she will put comments at the bottom of her assignments and my daughter revises her assignments. And at least it feels like that there's someone out there that is collecting these you know, documents from you and cares about the quality that you turn out and then gets back to you. And, and, and I need to, I'm gonna do a little left turn here and say, I understand how hard that is too and how like mentally challenging that is at a time that is emotionally rough for everyone. Um, and so please, as, as we're talking today, know that we're just saying to the degree that you are comfortable with taking these things on and interested in keeping yourself busy for your own self-care and mental health, these things are fun to think about, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and realistically, I'd say a lot of my kids probably don't even look at my feedback because I've realized how hard it is to access it on Teams. <laughs> so I'll be like, hey, you guys, like, go check out my feedback. But if there's anybody that has to redo anything, I'll, like, tag them and I'll say, hey, I need you to go check your feedback. Sure. So, yes, I agree with you. And it's, like, something, like, you shouldn't have to kill yourself over it, but maybe choosing, like, one assignment a week that you yeah. really, like, invest some time into doing that. I think it's 
a beautiful thing. And I think it for, I mean, even if it's for one kid that sees that, to know that you spent that time is important. Uh, and I love the idea of, and I've done it before when we were in, in session in person was just give video feedback because sometimes it's faster um, and people kind of listen to it differently. And you could certainly create a Flipgrid board of your feedback and just share over the QR codes for the individual you know, videos to whoever those are supposed to go out to. Um, but then you also mentioned too with the assignment where they were reenacting a part of the story and that they brought their family into it. And I found that's helped out with my own kiddos at home too. When they're having their greatest struggles, if I can sit down and just do the same assignment with them, not even necessarily like help them, but just go, what are we doing? We doing math today? All right. Tell me about your problem. And I'm like also trying to solve it. Well, I got this and really trying to be that that other peer going through uh, the lesson or the experience. Um, and I've even seen some, in some of the specials, my kids have been assigned similar assignments because the K3 window, they're doing the same thing in art, for example. Uh, and so it has been fun for them to look and see what their peers are doing and be inspired by those ideas. And um, I don't know how to do that in a virtual setting to recreate that with intentionality. Um, but I, I hope to think through that, you know, between now and, and the start of next year, because I think that there's really something to it. And so it's cool that you like found ways to encourage them or at least that they had the opportunity to invite other people into their learning that are in at home with them. So that's uh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. oh, yeah. I mean, I think it'll there's so many things that will be so interesting to see how this affects the fall. And there's going to be a lot of benefits. Yeah, there's going to be things that we're going to have to work through but definitely that. Kids are gonna be noticing each other's work more, siblings. Oh, more. for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think parents are gonna be much more well-versed <laughs> in kind of- More than they would like. <laughs> yes, our, our challenges um, as educators, when I say our, uh, and then also the, the you know, responsibilities that are placed upon students too is, um, you know, is a healthy challenge that I think even some adults are finding out is, uh, it's tougher to be smarter than a fifth grader, right? We got a whole show dedicated to. <laughs> Honestly. Um, but uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition real quick then before we kind of wrap up our conversation and talk uh, about the the DAP initiative. Digital age pedagogy is something that the ESUs uh, have really invested a lot of time into, um, particularly Nick Ziegler um, with kind of developing an ideal blended model. Um, that people would be able to sort of take, it allows you to kind of guide your thinking and your structuring of how to integrate technology into a unit design um, at any level. And uh, so I know you're part of that program this year, and I know just we've sort of informally have kind of talked a little bit about the crossover between that and personalization. And I think regardless, there are a lot of buzzwords out there right now. They're all trying to get generally the same things. Um, but what's been your experience then coming from that lens with uh, some of the things that you've had the chance to extend in the DAP project? Um, so I definitely have enjoyed the DAP project. I've learned a lot and I think I've gained a lot of strategies. Um, and it's always, I always like it when, I mean, each week was broke, you know, each time we met, it was focused on a different part of the blended model, which I really liked. Um, and it helped me kind of slowly think about what I wanted to do. And then when I sat down to like work through the whole thing, um, I definitely felt like I created something completely new based on, so I took a previously like personalized model that I've created a unit 
and I like reformatted it in the blend ed way and I felt like I created something that was more in depth and offered way more like resources and opportunities for my students. Um, I did a lot of must do's and may do's while also offering a lot of online resources which definitely is a scary thing for me because I'm not a one-to-one school Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that given the right situation I think like as in in my like for next year I think I could do it um, and I could really plan ahead in order to make sure it could happen. I definitely think that through the DAT project, I learned a lot of, um, so during remote learning, I spent a lot of time working on my unit and I creatively went pretty crazy with it, but that made it fun. Like I felt really like I created something that was worth like, I'm excited. I shared it with my coworkers. My husband um, <laughs> looked at me like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm still working on my dad project, but I really enjoyed like going all out with it. Um, I don't know what I'm, I might have to change some of it for next year to make it like work in my room because I'm not one-to-one, but I still think it's worth um, sharing and doing and I'm excited about it. But now I'm bummed because I created a unit that's in the third quarter. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'll have to do one in the fall too. Oh, that's so, the summer. that's so tough. I think about it all the time that with some experiences, you know, in most professions, if you screw up, you like can kind of instantly fix, correct and move, move things along. And, and some of the situations that we have as educators you have to wait a year for your next iteration. (laughs) That can be a long wait sometimes. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for sharing some insights with that. And I know that's something that currently we're hosting uh, Friday webinars um, where people are getting a little bit of an exposure to the remote learning level of that, where it's just kind of a single lesson unit design. uh, And that's been very well attended. Uh, And also in May, they're going to start to do some workshops, half-day workshops that are free. Uh, I'm excited for the Future Ready Conference this summer. Uh, which is actually the, the Nebraska Part- Department of Education and the ESUs are teaming up together um, for a two-day conference online for uh, that is centered solely on remote learning and that some of that blended work is going to be a part of that conversation along it's with definitely, I mean it's definitely worth people's time to look into it and I think it's such a great community of people and that was such a big reason why I wanted to be a part of it is to meet new people and that's the way you get better is to get good teacher friends that are motivated and want to throw ideas at you and tell you if an idea needs to be changed. And <laughs> like, that's great. Like, that's what you need. And you don't always get that in the people that are you're around at work. And you want to have different people that have different ideas to help push you forward. And so do it, be a part of it. Uh, yeah. And on one level, that's what the ESUs are there to do as they support people. And at the, at the same time, that's what those communities are there for. And that's what it was, because uh, I was in the first of those Friday webinars last week. And it was just so uh, engaging to see. There were about 70 educators in each of the two conversations. And when we went to breakouts, which we did for half of the time, the dialogue there was just so rich. And it's, it's people that care about the work uh, that they're doing and providing for their students from all across the state and it's uh those things are recorded too so if anyone were interested in checking those out but i think that i think that's it and i was i was recording a podcast two days ago with uh i know somebody that you appreciate annie mcnair <laughs> she's pretty I awesome love her. she's good and i i'll truthfully say i fumbled through the parts of the podcast and just trying to wrap my mind around how this stuff works and at the end of it i just came to the conclusion where i'm not going to apologize for that and, and just say that 
this is a time where we just need to be invested to the degree that you're comfortable with, right? Like, but can be invested in dialogue around this work. And that's the only way we're going to grow is just for us to like talk about it and, um, and accepting the vulnerability of that. This is uncomfortable. And a lot yeah. of us are starting at square one mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like it's yeah. okay to be frustrated and, but you also have to be there for your students and be confident in knowing that you're trying your best. Oh. And you're evolved. I know that you always are. That's that's why I wanted to have you as part of the conversation today. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Hannah. And hopefully we'll get a chance to visit with you again soon. All right. Thanks.